Blog Talk Radio. Well, brilliant. So uh, thank you very much for talking to me today. I've got uh, Freya Lawton on the line, and it's brilliant to be able to talk about your process, Freya, of still flow process. And uh, this is a healing process, I think, that is very current, and it's very much what we, what we need to be doing, a way to finding our, our way back to consciousness and, and to living in a somewhat forward-looking way. Can I just welcome you to the show and ask you how you are? What are you up to? about peace because I call when I was thinking of you I I decided to call this show peace the final frontier (laughs) because I know that that is very close close to your heart and I think what what you're saying there is that you've got the peace intention which is the the uh, the clarity of intention that we're sending out for positive change for the whole planet and for everywhere that is in conflict but you're also saying that the still so process is, in, is the way to achieve the inner peace first. Is that, is that the way around you feel it has to go? Absolutely. I mean, the whole difference in the approach to living which still flows to mind is based on the interconnectivity of all things. We now know, you know, scientifically, we now know that the spiritual teachings which have been around for thousands and thousands of years, the ancient uh, traditions which told us that everything is connected. We now know that that's scientifically proven. Brilliant. And that really does fundamentally change everything because it means that really what's going on in the world is not separate from us, however distant it may appear to be and how unrelated to our own personal lives it may appear to be, that nothing that is going on in the world is separate from us. And more importantly, that what it's not separate from is not just our actions but it's not separate from our thoughts and, mm, and, and most, most importantly, our intentions, which is our focused thinking about how we want the world to be, how we expect the world to be, and how that affects our, our, our lives and our, you know, our way of uh, interacting with, uh, with each other. Brilliant. Is that like Einstein was saying that, that the job becomes to free ourselves from the illusion of our own separateness? That is, absolutely. I mean, Einstein knew, absolutely knew that, that on, a, on a level that, that couldn't necessarily be perceived whilst he was alive, we were fundamentally all one thing, that every single thing that we perceive in our experience of life is not separate 
things at all. It just appears to be. And that once we begin to understand that, it very much changes the way that we perceive other people and the way that we interact with those people. Because ultimately, those people are not other people at all. They're aspects of, our, of, of one unified energy field. Oh, we absolutely have to listen to Lucinda Drayton now. Uh, there's a song she writes called A Piece of Me. Got to be poignant. Unified energy field. I mean, we were thinking a bit before about what, what stage the, our faculties are, are kind of shut down. Uh, you know, because one way to obviously interact with that energy field is through arts and uh, through creativity, through communication, and uh, through all the, all the different very mild superpowers that everybody has, whether it's musical or less tangible or uh, engineering, even more tangible. And you were saying that. There's a kind of a process, and I hadn't focused on it before, about what happens in schools and, and at what stage suddenly people are reduced from all, all their feeling of their creative power and their connectedness. 
Well, if you go right back to when uh, children are born, children don't even have a sense of separate self till around the age of, you know, two or three. They don't really understand themselves. We impose the concept of separation onto each other from a very, very young age. Now, if you imagine if you weren't given a name, your experience of life would be very, very different. You know, actually, your, the naming process is, in a sense, the point at which you become the separate sense of you. And you become separate from everything and everybody else around you. And in, and in fact, we use the naming process to separate ourselves from everything. I mean, the fact that we call a lamp a lamp and a tree a tree instantly defines them as separate objects from us. Now, if, if we didn't do that, if we didn't use language at all, our sense of uh, separation would be much, 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 much less. I can't say whether it would still exist because we can't know that. But certainly the naming of others, the naming of other objects and other people as separate from ourselves is a fundamental kind of building block on which we, um, we create the idea, which is all it is, as Einstein said, it's an illusion that we are separate beings and separate objects. Yeah, I love that because I was just watching uh, that lovely uh, Disney movie, Secretariat, about the racehorse that won the triple gold. Uh, it was uh, all because someone had faith in him and all that lovely stuff. But uh, one of the key things in that was the was the woman, the housewife, I put in inverted commas, who uh, then had to take on this horse and this plan. And her husband started saying, why are you referring to yourself by your maiden name now? Because... Of, because it was a horse that belonged to her father. All the way through, there was this this push and pull of uh, who are you and why you should be behaving under your name in a certain way. You know, and it's associations whether you're a Mrs. or a Miss or a, a one family name, or you go back to a, a maiden name or whatever. However, it is, it's it's very divisive. It is very divisive, and you know, and if you look at that on a kind of political level, you know, which is probably not what we're here to talk about, but you know, on a political level, the, the reason why um, a wife took her husband's name was that ultimately she became part of him. So she lost her separate identity completely and became his possession in a sense. I mean, it was all to do with money and land and children that would come from that marriage yeah. you know but so again you know there are so many ways in which naming is important in identifying us not just as separate but just defining who we should be and how we should how we should act in the world and when we go into the education system the education system is it is a very slow moving beast you know a very very slow moving beast it doesn't mm -hmm. keep up with cutting-edge science. You know, the science that you learn in school is, is never, you know, the latest understanding of, of, of what's going on in, in the world. Oh, yeah. You know, it's because it has to go through a process of being accepted. And There was a time, you know, uh, not the last century, the century before, around the 19th century, where science was moving in a very different direction. And it was very much moving in the direction which still flow is based upon and the ancient esoteric teachings are based upon which is to do with the unified energy field and, and what that means. And actually what happened was a lot of the, the, the leading thinkers who were Wilhelm Reich, who, you know, the cloud, of cloud-busting fame, uh, that Kate Bush immortalized in her song, who was working with organ energy, the invisible, sometimes visible blue energy, which encapsulates the entire 
Earth and names the Earth, why we call the Earth the blue planet is because you can actually see that blue organ energy around the planet from a distance. And there are places where the energy is very intense, where you can, you can actually see it, the blue mountains in Australia being one. You know, that this chi energy, as it would be called in, in the East, uh, this fundamental energy of life was completely understood in philosophy, science, religion, whatever you want to call it, because for them it was one thing. <laughs> in the West, we decided to divide religion and science and philosophy, and we began to ignore these Eastern teachings and the scientists which were exploring them and uh, creating extraordinary breakthroughs based on these understandings uh, were eventually silenced. You know, it's people like Nikola Tesla, who was, you know, making extraordinary progress in creating free energy, actually accessing free energy, then we would be living in a completely different world now. We wouldn't be dependent on fossil fuels or solar energy or wind power or, or anything else. We, we would have a complete, but it's based on a completely fundamentally different understanding of science. And now we assume that the science that we have, Newtonian science, is the only science that there is. Well, it isn't. It's one. It's the one that, that won out in the battle. Yes. And part of the reason I believe it won out in the battle is because those people who had the power to fund research, because you know scientific research is a very costly business, <laughs> were also the people that had the power to benefit financially from humanity being dependent on fossil fuel. We suppressed this science. We suppressed this understanding uh, deliberately. Yes. In, and, and what came out of it was the current scientific paradigm we have, which is the one currently taught in schools. Do you hear the child who wants to run with
I think that's what needs to happen. That each person, and I know that that you feel this as well, that each person has the power. So we can talk about the the great, the free thinkers in in the in the past. I'd love people to feel that that was a part of what they need to bring through themselves as well. Each person has a great gift and. The funny thing is when we talk about peace, we're not trying to kind of numb ourselves down into an acceptance of what is the case. We're actually trying to come more alive and more aware of, of what each of us can channel through it, essentially. Is, is that what, what you'd love to happen or what do you picture? Absolutely. I mean, when you were talking about what happens in the school system and how we begin to shut down, if you like, our creative genius. You know, children are creative, you know, genii, whatever, whatever the plural is for genius. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and they don't have a sense of limitation until it's imposed upon them through fear of parents and the limited thinking that's handed down to them from the previous generation. Yes. Now, that's what the school system is so incredibly good at doing, is beginning to limit our concept of what creativity is, one, it suddenly becomes what you do in the, you know, in the art department on a Thursday afternoon if you're lucky. Yes. Well, creativity has nothing to do with that. I mean, creativity is the ability to think freely, to make a free association between um, ideas and events that you know may not have any logical connection at all. Um, and everything, I completely agree with you that every single one of us has within us the potential for pure genius. But what's happened is the way that we're schooled and the way that we're then not want to work and work continue the same pattern of limiting our belief in ourselves, limiting our understanding of our, um, our worth and our value and what we can and can't do. And what yeah. happens as we go through life is we, we, we kind of go down a funnel. You know, we, we start off with this huge pure potential of childhood. Um, and as we go through the system, we're basically layered on layered on layered ideas of our own limitation and because that's also all encapsulated in a very left brain logical rational reasonable if you like <laughs> um, way of seeing ourselves and the world around us we own we think of genius as being people that know a lot of stuff or people that have a lot of facts people that are you know have doctorates we can let go of our limiting beliefs, and we can, we know, because that's part of the process that is um, involved in still flow. Yes. We can begin to literally use our intention to release ourselves from limiting belief in every area of our life. But until we actually have the kind of conversation where we're now, we don't actually understand that we've become limited. We just think it's normal. We think, well, I'm just... It's just me, it's what I can do. I've never been very good at that, or I've never been very brave, or I've never been very creative. Yes. It doesn't predict your future. That's the difference. You don't have to use your past anymore yes. to predict your future. You can absolutely change your future, regardless of what the past has been like. However much of a struggle it's been, however you know, limited you've come to yourself to be, if you want to change that, you absolutely can, and you absolutely can change that. Do you understand that everything is energy? Your thoughts, your limiting beliefs, these are all just energies held in your system which you can let go of. And really what the process of still flow is, is literally uncovering your brilliance, uncovering your genius. I love that, and that is brilliant.
It reminds me of this next song I've been dying to play, Sit Right Here, by Lucinda Drayton, with the perfect opening line. You can learn to stop thinking without falling asleep, falling asleep. There's a house by a stream where the sun sits on the water. You can learn to stop thinking without falling asleep, falling asleep.
But another thing that we were thinking is one of the problems when we when we try and kind of juxtapose the potential possibility, the genius, the magnificence of the, each person's creative potential, it, it sometimes hits a bit of a wall because people think back to what they hope to do as a child, you know, they are mortified what they've ended up doing. And so you have a lot of people, (laughs) and and, uh, at the same time as creativity is lost, self-esteem is lost, and sense of any any sort of grand potential is lost. You said, which I think is is really um, kind of current, and, and and I want I want it to be a motivating force for others who are who are listening, is that uh, this at this time we are being thrown back on our um, on our own resources and our own resourcefulness and finding ourselves wanting you know so we're we're being thrown back into having to you know either come up with something create creative ways of making money. Uh, creative ways of feeding ourselves and uh, and and trying to get some independence of thought when that has been kind of bred out of us or kind of trained out of us for so long. So you've got the mixture of low self-esteem, you know, regret, a lack of potential, and and this need to get resourceful, all combined. And so there's, there's still so much have a, a a definite therapeutic component, does it? Well, I think. Anybody I know that has really grasped it, you know, not just read the book, but has actually resonated with it and said, Mm. yes, this completely makes sense to me. And they've begun to implement it in their everyday lives. And that's really what this is. It's not an idea. It's a practice. It's a way of being in the world. Brilliant. um, Which turns you from being a kind of victim of random circumstance and your own limiting beliefs and gives you the tools and the understanding to free yourself from all limitation. How, how successful you are at doing that is entirely down to you. But we now know that it's perfect for all. It's very easy. And, it, and, and actually, to change yourself from a state of thinking that everything that's happening to you in, the, in your life is, is just random events. Yeah. That's no longer the case. When you understand the integrity of all things, you suddenly realize that everything that's happening to you is not happening to you randomly. It's happening because of you. It's happening because of the way you're thinking. It's happening because of what's going on in your head. And, it's going on, and that's going on because of the experiences that you've had in the past. You know, that we're predicting our future based on who we have been in the past. And we don't need to do that anymore. We can just literally say, this changes today. And and that's not just therapeutic. That is a fundamental turnaround and a a fundamental empowerment in your life. You are no longer a victim of anything. You are a conscious creator of your own reality. Oh, praise the Lord. That is great. How do you structure that process for people? How do you guide people through it in, in the Still Flow book and when you work with people? Well, the first thing that we tend to do is look at how your life is at the moment. What, what's brought anybody to a point of feeling that there's a necessity for change? I mean, usually what's happening is that there's something going on in our lives which is creating a pressure. It's creating, it's creating an experience that we're finding difficult. So it may, that, that could be that we, you know, we've got a job where we suddenly have to do a lot of public speaking 
and we, yes. we hate speaking in public, whatever it might be, that can bring you to a critical point. You may find that you've become ill or that your relationships are consistently <laughs> disempowering you. At some point, we have to wake up and recognize that there is something going on in our lives which we no longer wish to continue with. Yeah, and, you know, we talked before, you know, we talked before about the whole idea of crisis and opportunity being the same thing. Um, yeah. And on an individual basis, what tends to be the cause of uh, people making, uh, looking, looking for new information, looking for new ways um, to improve their experience of life is usually some sort of crisis. It may be a mini crisis, it may be an enormous crisis. Um, and I would say or that what is going on in the world at the moment is a collective crisis. It's yeah. a collective perfect storm, if you like, that we have collectively now created an enormous stress on ourselves collectively, which is going to force us to have to change. And the change that uh, the information which is coming into, like our awareness, is the information which is based in this process. It's not new information. I have to make it up. Yes. It's information which has come from thousands of years ago. This is the fundamental tenets of the ancient spiritual teachings, which tell us that everything is energy, including us. What directs that energy to create our experience is our thinking and our emotions. So how do you explain to people, if, if, if somebody is... Uh, is you know coming to you and that what they experiencing seems to be so other so they're being bullied in their relationship they're being their work hours have been cut directly in half and or their hours have been doubled and their pay has been cut in half and so it seems like everything is definitely happening outside themselves and and how do you bring them to an understanding of their own creation of the, these scenarios what it, usually whatever is happening, whatever is creating that personal crisis, won't be happening for the first time. So the first thing <laughs> I that, like uh, it. We would do is say, okay, this experience that you're having now, you're not comfortable with this experience that you're having now. Have you ever been in a situation like this before? Has this ever happened to you? So someone might come along and say, I'm, I'm, I'm being bullied. I'm being bullied by my workmate at, at work. Mm. And then you'd ask the question, is this something that you've ever experienced before. And they said, oh, no, I've never been bullied by workmate before. No, that's never happened to me before. Have you ever felt like you feel it makes you feel before? Yes. And then they oh, well, you know, maybe when I was a kid, you know, uh, there was somebody at school that, you know, that used to tease me or whatever. And it does seem to feel quite similar. Well, what is happening is that when we go through our experience, we... We're taught to judge our experience as either good or bad. Yes. That's, that's the way we think in the West. Things are either good or they're bad. Now, that may seem like something which is unchallengeable. You can't challenge that. Some things are either good or bad. Yes. That's the way we think. But when you're looking at it from a still flow point of view, you have to begin to blur that distinction. You have to begin to notice that uh, that distinction is not necessarily very helpful in terms of how we respond to our experience. Because what in Buddhism, if you like, because still flow has elements of Buddhism, in Buddhism what they would say is that our judgment of things as being either good or bad is the foundation of our own suffering. Now, and I'm distinguishing suffering from pain, physical pain, because those two are, are different. But 
our suffering, our emotional suffering, our psychological suffering, our yes, unhappiness with the way things are, that something that's happening to us is either good or bad. Yes, yes. I was just just saying that idea of suffering as being the continued experience of something being different from how it should be. You know, if you had no no judgment about anything, about something, it would have no, there would be no experience of difference, you being somewhere else than where you were supposed to be, your life being something else than it is supposed to be, which is... Uh, yeah. And the, and the important thing of understanding the interconnectivity of all things and how our thoughts create our reality is yeah. that, say you had an experience as a child where you, you were being picked on by someone was, you know, basically trying to call you names, uh, whatever. Yeah. As in that experience of childhood, you've been taught that certain names are good, certain names are bad. Now, again, <laughs> it comes back to naming. Yeah. Like if you had never... You know, I could swear at you now, you know, in in uh, Italian. And unless you spoke Italian, you wouldn't know whether I was saying I love you or I hate you. Yes. You know, this is the point. It's only when you attribute a meaning to a word that it suddenly has the power to either harm or empower you, you know. And this is the nature, again, of language, that we, we use language in, in a way that can create our own suffering. So we say, okay, he said I was fat. Well, if he'd said you were green, would that matter? I mean, it's only the, it's only the meaning that you're attributing to the word fat and the lack of confidence in you that, it, that, that, that does that mean something derogatory about you, which caused you to have an emotional reaction to that situation, to that word, which then becomes a kind of emotional trauma which carries through in your energy field into later life. And what tends to happen, if these traumas are significant enough, if you like, if, they, if we attribute enough meaning to these experiences, therefore elicit a strong enough negative emotional reaction to them, we end up carrying emotional traumas in our energy field, which, if we focus on them enough, begin to radiate them out into the world, which, and, and, and those radiating thoughts then bring to us more and more experiences which trigger those emotional memories. If they say you that person then goes on holiday yes. and they've put on a few pounds over the year but still got that emotional trauma, they will not wear the bikini, they'd rather wear the one-piece swimming costume. Yeah, because the they will assume everybody is judging them without a single word having been said so that we can begin to create our own suffering without even having an experience to... We're creating our own experience purely internally based on our assumptions, based on how we assume people are viewing us and, and what meaning we attribute to that. And yes. this is really how we begin to kind of accumulate vibrational frequencies, if you like, because every emotion, every emotional memory has a, a vibrational frequency. It has a, a signal, if you like, which we carry around with us and we accumulate more and more of these. And the more negative emotional signals we accumulate through our experience, through our judgment of our experience, good or bad, the lower our overall frequency is. And, and that would mean that we begin to put to us experiences that resonate with that low frequency. We all be the type of people whose lives appear to be an emotional disaster area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're just 
all that happens is you understand how energy works. A negative frequency will draw to it the opportunity to replay that negative emotion. And I believe we get that opportunity in order to release it.
I do think it's a great opportunity. And I was thinking back because uh, from my personal experience, I was obviously quite self-assured in some areas when I was uh, Kiddlywink because I had all sorts of names, like uh, Freaky Fran. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And which I can <laughs> I kind of enjoyed uh, rare hair, rare hair and freak friend, uh, fat foggy. They were all sort of, uh, to be uh, foxy, yeah, um, floss, you know, all those sorts of things. And I, I told you, well, foxy, what my sister calls me, I suppose school friends, the others came from, but. It was, it was actually kind of nice because uh, quite enjoyable names for some reason. And it, I, what, I, what I noticed was that and I, I wasn't put out by those. I, wasn't, I didn't take them personally. But later, different things happen and you realize where your weaknesses are. You know, things that you have traumatized you, that you haven't noticed. You've kind of seen yourself as a, as a self-assured person. Or the other way around, that you are so traumatized that you haven't explored, uh, let alone cultivated, any of your strengths because you're so busy looking at the, yes. at the trauma. And uh, I just wonder, I mean, I, I remember yes. I worked with, the, with homeless people for a long time and my colleague always said, don't worry about your weaknesses concentrate on your strengths you know that's what you say to people yeah you know, because there's always going to be there's always going to be things you're not good at whereas my philosophy was always to work on your weaknesses and you know, try and you know pull everything up to a, a bit of a balance so where, where would you say with that how much focus on uh, one's trauma is useful and how much cultivation absolutely. i think um as you say absolutely it's um there's it's a matter of recognising first and foremost that your thinking matters. And I think for most people that's a fundamental shift in the way of being. Yes. Because actually what we're describing, we're focusing on letting go of the negative or we're focusing on cultivating the positive, really what's happening is we're beginning to understand that what we think about ourselves does affect our experiences, and not just our experience in terms of how we feel about our experience. That's what's really important about this. Not just saying that if I think less negatively, then I can experience the same situation with less suffering. Oh, That's really? the way that we would have seen. It's much more than that. Yes. What has become very, very evident through working with other people that live this way is that you're not just psychologically and emotionally changing your response to a situation. This is not something which is purely going on in your head. You fundamentally change the very experiences you have. What we're mm. really talking about is not just things happening randomly and us being able to cope with them a bit better because we think less negatively. That's ah. part of it. Mm. But the really important thing that's going on here is we're beginning to understand that our consciousness, our thinking, our emotional response and, and experience that goes on within us is the very foundation of the reality that we experience externally. What goes on in our life, not just how we respond to it, the events that occur, the serendipities, the synchronicities, the coincidences, the people that arise are not happening randomly. They're happening because of what's going on within us. 
when we understand how our thinking works and interacts with the energy that creates our experience of life, we begin to understand that we are literally creating our reality. It's, it's really sim- that's, it really simple, uh, but the thing that people always are asking, you know, in what way can I really, uh, am I really affecting the reality that I'm experiencing? Could you just say that again? I, I don't know if you remember the words you said it now. But... I'll, give you, I'll give you one example of this. Uh, because, because, again, synchronicity, which, you know, when you're not understanding that everything is energy and you're not understanding that your thoughts and your vibrational frequency are creating your reality. Coincidence, A, is something you don't experience very often. And when you do, it's fairly weak, of what I'd call a kind of, you know, a weak, a weak coincidence. It may be significant to you, because when you don't experience uh, coincidence very often, any experience is quite shocking, can be quite shocking. Yes. What tends to happen when you live this way, when you understand how your thoughts are creating your reality, and I mean not just changing your emotional and psychological ex- response to what's happening in your world, but begin to understand how your thinking is fundamentally creating what happens in your world. Then you begin to understand what synchronicity really is. And it is something that begins, the more you do this, the more you to acknowledge the, what a thought is, which is basically a program to the unified energy field to create something. Whatever you want, whether it's negative or positive, your intention, your thinking, your focused intent is what creates your reality. Whether you're doing that consciously or unconsciously, we're all doing it all the time. You know, negative stuff going on in your life is not happening randomly. It's still happening because of your thinking and it's, and it's the energy field responding to your vibration and, and the vibration of your programs, which are your thoughts. You're programming the energy field to create your reality. And what happens when you take control of that and you become a, a, a co-creator, if you like, of your reality with the energy field, that synchronicity, and by this I mean intense coincidence, begins to play a fundamental role in your life to the point where it becomes absolutely um, paramount. It becomes the fundamental acknowledgement you know what you're doing, that you know you're creating your reality. I mean, one very <clears throat> random recent experience I had, um, I recently decided that I wanted to get back to my life as an artist. I lived for many years, I was an artist, and I'd given it up for a few years and didn't really think I'd go back to it. And then I suddenly thought, actually, I'd really like to get to it. Now, a few days ago, I was on holiday in Cornwall, and people were staying in my house at home and in my house there are a few drawings around the house and many people stayed in my house (laughs) but that weekend I was speaking to my partner and I said what I might do is turn my house into a gallery so rather than going to find an external gallery I'll put my artwork in and around the house and when people come to stay because we have paying guests come to stay yes if they like a piece of work, they can just take it and, you know, we'll leave an honesty book and they can just leave some money for it. We have just had that conversation and I had noticed I had moved into a place where that had now become my intention rather than just an idea 
I had moved into a place, and this is a subtle energetic shift, you begin to understand the more you're working this way, that that was my intention to do that. Within about half an hour of finishing that conversation, my partner had a text from the people that had been staying in our house to say how much they'd enjoyed their weekend, and, and they wanted to inquire whether the two drawings on stairs were for sale. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No reason why they would... I mean, I wouldn't go to your... You know, I, might, I would go to your house because you're an artist, but I wouldn't go to anybody else's. I wouldn't go to a holiday home and phone the owner and ask if the piece of work was... It's never happened before. The drawings have been there for four years. We've had many guests come and go. But, the, uh, but something fundamentally changed in the nature of my reality... Yeah. And this is what life becomes like. And, you know, we've, we've got to the point now where we just say, I've, I've given up thinking this is ridiculous because it's, synchronicity has become so ridiculous yeah. and so extraordinary that you have to come to the point where you realise that this is actually normal. Yes, and you can actually it's, rely on it, which is rather it's nice. It's reality showing you that, this is, that it's real. This is what happens. Yes. Absolutely, and this, you can rely on it. And, and it's a very subtle, you know, you basically say, oh, that's interesting, that's a negative thought. I'm just going to delete that. Now, this, is a, this is, sounds ridiculous, but actually, that's all you need to do. Because what happens is, reality, if you like, the energy field that responds to our thinking is being programmed by our thoughts, like a computer, a massive computer. And if we have a thought uh, that is negative, then the energy field picks up on that thought and literally will create that reality for us. Now, people would say, well, how come then when I think positively and I sit down and I really, really want to, you know, I really want a new car, yeah. and I think about every day, you know, which is the way the law of attraction works or the secret or whatever, you know, you sit down and you just focus all your intention on creating that positive thing. How come it doesn't happen? Mm. Well, the reason it doesn't happen is because your new idea of having a new car is not as emotionally charged and not as deeply embedded in your subconscious as all the limiting beliefs that you've acquired throughout your life, which are the reason why you currently don't have a new car. You, this is the problem. So what we do is you start to say, okay, let's just, first of all, every time I have a negative thought, I say, delete that. This is like deleting the program from the computer. Brilliant. Next time it comes up, you just do the same thing. Just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Once you become aware of your thinking, particularly your negative thinking, you'll begin to see patterns. You'll begin to see, blindly. I'm really down on myself in terms of money. I'm really fearful about this relationship. Or, you, know, you're, you have to start to notice this for yourself. What are you telling yourself? More importantly, what are you telling the universe to, to give you? Yes. And this is a process, it's a lifelong process of noticing, observing. And then once you start to notice these things, you can begin to clear and use a clearing technique, which is focusing your intention to release the negative beliefs, which is um, currently programming your reality. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's something that, that you and I both do, so... How do people get hold of your book, the, the Peace Intention book, and how do they communicate with you if they would like to work with you on Skype? Okay. Um, well, the, the thing with the still flow process is 
it's a, such a fundamental change in the way of thinking that really the only thing you can do is, all, all I say to people is just spend the week. Just spend the week pretending or seeing what it would be like if you were creating your reality. What if you just thought, what if I'm just creating this situation? What if this is just an opportunity for me to let go of this emotional reaction now? You don't have to believe that you're creating a reality. You can't start from that point. No. But if you start from the point of just saying, I'm just spend the week behaving as if I'm creating my own reality, mm. and I'm going to choose to let go of any emotional reactions that come up or judgments that arise, and I'm going to decide that whoever is involved in that situation, I'm not going to blame them. I'm going to receive it as an opportunity to let go of my emotional reaction and just acknowledge it, notice that it's there, and allow it to pass, and, you know, take responsibility for it. And then just see, over the period of that week, whether those relationships or those situations seem to lessen or whether your emotional reaction to the situation seems to lessen. Yeah. And if it does, just carry on doing it. Brilliant. Really, the only thing that can make you stand that this works is doing it and doing it in your own experience. It's the only thing that will prove it to you, that it works. Yes. I know it works. You know it works. Yes. But you can't tell anything that. So that's it. And the, the peace intention, if you're really involved in the peace intention, and you can download the, uh, the Still Flow Way to Peace, which is the Peace Intention Handbook, uh, you can download that free oh, from the peaceintention.org website that's available free, or you can buy, if you want a physical copy of it or a Kindle copy, you can get those on Amazon. Just going to reiterate, it's uh, www.thepeaceintention.org and there they can download for That's free right. their Still Flow Way to Peace book from that That's site. That's right, and that explains the, the whole of the of process, how to be clearing of your limiting beliefs, how to really go through the whole process of Still Flow, of, of you know, to spend a week considering, if you, can, you can read this in a couple of hours, it's a very small book. What matters is not the word, the amount of words. What matters is actually practicing it. And I <laughs> yes. firmly believe it, 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 it changes everything. You know, it really does change everything. And this is the opportunity that we're being given now to change the world, to become brilliant, to access that brilliance that's inside every one of us. Brilliant. Uh, and yeah. I work one to one with doing that, accessing their own brilliance. Um, <laughs> How do you do that? Is as well, it, is using the still flow process and doing clearing with me, uh, using Skype, yeah. uh, Skype sessions, and my website is freyalawton.com. Great. And the Freya, so F-R-E-Y-A, and then L-A-W-T-O-N.com. Yeah? That's, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That's groovy. Thanks so much. And... Uh, Goodness knows, we'll speak again when the next thing happens. And anybody who'd like to write in and, and ask a question or share what's happening on, on their journey or any insights that would be a, a brilliant contribution, and I consider pretty much everything a brilliant contribution, <laughs> so write to me at info at healingbyfrank.com and, uh, and I'll get back to you on Facebook or one of those ways. Uh, thanks so much for listening and speak to you next week. Brilliant.